This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 106, Adventures in Financial Planning with Tim Austin, Part 1. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode. I'm your co-host, Mark Willis, and in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Mark. Hello, everyone. We've got a special guest on our show for part one, and we're going to have him again in part two. Uh, This is a gentleman who I've known for many years, and so I have the distinct honor and privilege of introducing him to our wonderful audience. So, guys, you're in for a special treat today. A gentleman named Tim Austin. Tim Austin is the president and founder of Set for Advisors, a leading training organization for financial advisors uh, who want to help their clients grow wealth predictably and safely without taking unnecessary risk. Tim's a guy who, you know, he co-authored and co-founded and was director of the Bank on Yourself program and helped uh, sponsor and start the Bank on Yourself Authorized Advisor Whole Life Insurance Concept along with best-selling author Pamela Yellen, who it's it's always good to remind everybody that Pamela Yellen is the one who kind of started and co-opted and and coined the phrase, copyright wrote the phrase, bank on yourself. So, you know, it's awesome when you get to meet folks who help uh, build that brainchild, you might say. Mm -hmm. Pamela Yellen wrote the book, literally wrote the book, Bank on Yourself uh, and the Bank on Yourself Revolution, The Life-Changing Secret to Growing and Protecting Your Financial Future. Uh, Bank on Yourself is a major bestseller, and it hit number one on USA USA Today, New York Times, and Amazon bestseller lists, as well as New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly, number one bestseller all around. So Tim uh, has partnered with Pamela for many years now, and Tim himself uh, makes his home in uh, Clarkston, Michigan, with his wife and three kids. So uh, he, he really loves to test his physical ability, his mental toughness, pra- uh, participating in half iron marathon triathlons and marathons. This is a guy who goes all in on whatever he's committed to, mm-hmm. uh, both on his personal fitness, but also his, his business and his goals and his focus and his drive. But his history, I think, is what you guys will really take away from today's episode uh, in this part, part one. So I won't make you guys wait any longer to learn more about this amazing gentleman. Uh, take it away, Tim. Tim, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mark. Appreciate being here. Thanks for the invite. Would you mind quickly just sort of sharing a bit about who you are and your background and sort of where you started in, in professional in managing folks' money and helping them in their financial? Sure. Well, first of all, Mark, I, I, I feel that I'm, I'm extremely fortunate in the fact that I got into the business when I was, when I was quite young. I started in, in the financial service business in 1986. And at the time, I, I was pretty young. I was still a sophomore in college. And I was looking for an op- a, a way to earn money with a flexible schedule and uh, get out of the restaurant business, um, where you're pretty much locked into working 60-hour, 70-hour work weeks. And, uh, and trying to go to college was, was, was pretty, pretty tough. So um, I actually got into the financial planning business with uh, the idea that it was going to be a, t- a part-time position to help me help me uh, get through college as I was uh, looking at becoming a tax attorney, believe it or not. Um, and then uh, I, I started to love it so much and 
started to, to do pretty well in it that, uh, that I never left. So I have had my whole uh, career, uh, my whole working career, really, um, I guess, adult working career. I did start working when I was 12. So um, I've, I've been learning about money since, since I was 12 years old. Um, but I have spent my whole career, uh, my whole adult career in the financial service industry. What was it like when you came back home and said that you wanted to be in financial services? Uh, I don't know if your parents were involved in that uh, line of work or not, but Mark, uh, to to answer the question, I was out of the, out of my home at 17 because that was dad's rules. Um, we all knew that, uh, being raised, my dad was a pipe fitter. Um, so hardworking pipe fitter, uh, guy. Um, my mom was stay at home and she raised a, cu- a couple children, about 138 children. Um, <laughs> wow. just a couple. So, yeah, just a couple. Um, my parents and, and I guess all of us, my, I, uh, um, as, um, a family, you know, in a, a very small home, our, our home was 950 square feet, but, at, at the time we were an emergency foster care home. So we would, we would get babies under the age of two and we would keep them no more than usually two years. And, and my mom and my dad just, that was just the way I grew up. Um, so I always knew from the time that I was uh, 12 years old that I, I had to kind of earn my way. There really wasn't money that was, uh, doled out in any way, shape or form. We got, uh, you know, new clothes once, once a year from Kmart and that, that was pretty limited at that. So, um, you know, b- basically, um, being out of the home at age 17, paying my own way through, you know, as far as college was concerned and my own bills, um, I didn't have to ask anybody and I didn't review that with anybody. It was really just me seeking out uh, the career path that I, I wanted to be on. So one of the things, uh, Mark, that we learned back then when I got into the financial services business as a very young person uh, is you, you really don't have people to talk to. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to get practice on, on what it is that you've learned. And I was, I, was a, I, I was very excited to learn anything and everything about the financial service industry and how people saved, how people spent money, how people thought about money. Um, and not just any people, you know, different generations because different generations had different ways of looking at money. But the first thing that I was taught to do was something called a Project 100. And Mark, that's nothing more than taking one, trying to list out 100 people that will actually um, keep an appointment with you. And, you know, who could you call that will sit down with you? And in some cases, you'd be going out with a manager um, that would be kind of doing most of the talking and you're doing more of the listening. Uh, but one of the very first people that I sat down with was my parents, my, my hardworking, um, you know, pipe fitter dad and, and my mom, stay at home mom. And Mark, that's a generation that, um, just to understand that, um, dad made the money, paid the bills, mom. Oh, and certainly never had a credit card, never, never, um, had any type of credit card. 
And mom never, you know, she took care of babies and took care of us. She, she did not know the bills, did not, um, you know, participate in the financial part of the house household. Um, so really I was sitting down with my dad and my very first experience, and I think you'll appreciate this is I was going through all of his assets and we were listing out all of his assets and, and, um, you know, again, being a, a, a pipe fitter union and he had a pension, uh, obviously social security was going to be there in the future for him. He had a little bit of a 401k, very little in the way of, uh, actual savings. Um, and he had a home and that home was, uh, uh, he, he built it himself in 1959. My mom still lives there today. Um, uh, my dad is deceased at this point in time. And, um, you know, uh, he built it for $12,500 and Mark at the time, 1986, that house was worth about $130,000. And I said, Dad, look at this. You paid twelve thousand five hundred dollars to build your home in nineteen fifty nine and now now it's worth a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. This is one of the best assets that you that you have. And Mark, you got a picture, uh, a a pipe fitter guy with greasy, you know, hands and you know and and nails and, and my dad was a, a, a pretty big guy, six five, you know, about two hundred and seventy five pounds and he looked at me and he, he dead square in the face and said, you know, Tim, I thought you were the smart one. <laughs> I looked at him. I'm like, you know, this is, this is, this is Tim who's gone through all this training, education, dove in. And, um, and I've got my three piece suit. I've got my gold cross pen that my mom, I, I mean, she, she, you know, suffered to, to give me that upon my graduation with my, my, engraved name on it. And here's my dad saying, and I thought you were the smart one. And Mark, what he was referring to is that he said, if I wanted to put his home that he lives, lives in on somebody's asset page or as an asset to put it on mine and my brother's and my sister's asset sheet, because he was going to be dying in that house. And the last he checked, my mom was asking him to replace the carpet. He needed to do the, do the roof. The pool was having some issues and he's been doing nothing but putting money into that home for, you know, 40 years. And, um, so mm. it, uh, it really opened my eyes to be careful about how people do look at money. Cause as I said, um, my dad is deceased and he did pass away in that home. He passed away in his, in his bed, in that home. My mother is still living in that home and will pass away in that home. If we don't have to move her out into a home, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just, uh, it's just the thing of how people look at money, how people look at their assets. Um, you know, what are those assets that are actually going to give people income to those assets that are going to, are going to be liabilities that are going to take income away from them, you know, or, or create an expense. So that was one of my very first uh, appointments with money that formed my, my, my way of thinking about how people look at assets and, and develop assets and, and then ultimately use assets. 
Well, you, you bring up some great points, and he, as your father, uh, certainly gave you a kick in the pants for your first out of 100 meetings. <laughs> uh, so that's, talk about like a, a wake-up call or a splash, splash of cold water in the face. Um, he got your attention, no doubt. But think about the mindset. I'm sure you've done a lot of thinking about this, Tim. The, his mindset of assets and liabilities is very different than maybe many Americans would have today. Can you talk a bit about uh, how you have seen over the many years that you've been in financial services and in your work with ten, literally tens of thousands of people have financial strategies set up because of your work over these many years. So what have you seen in the financial lives of the people that you've met with uh, and how have you seen over generations people's view of money changing? Yeah, so Mark, let me share um, another story, of another family story early on, and th- uh, and then I'll I'll le- I'd like to take you into how I I came to this conclusion of what I have uh, nicknamed the ten 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 rule. Um, but first, let me tell you a little bit about my grandmother. Um, my grandmother was high on that list of the top one hundred people that would actually keep an appointment with me. And she did keep my my grandmother and grandfather kept an appointment with me. And um, at the time, I sat down with my grandma and they they did very well in in regards to living within their means, um, saving money and um, just being able to have a philosophy of not losing money. Uh, They never invested in the market. Um, I, the stories that I was told from my grandmother and my grandfather is back in the depression when they, they lived above a a, a grocery store and they rented this relatively small, small, uh, kind of a loft kind of, um, situation. And when they found a dime on the sidewalk, it was one of the best days that they ever had because they were going to be able to buy some soup that day. They were going to be able to, uh, to, to eat a little bit better than, than what they had been eating. So I heard all those depression stories. Well, as they grew up, it, it cemented a philosophy in them. And you hear all of these old um, sayings and, and, and I think those scenes have, have really gotten lost over the last 30 and 40 years, such as a dollar saved is a dollar earned. I'm not concerned about the rate of return of my, on my money. I'm concerned about the return of my money. These, you know, living within our means, um, our home is not an asset. It, you know, it's a liability. These are things, but yet, you know, certainly with a philosophy of getting it paid off back then. And so I heard all of these things from my grandmother, but yet I did end up, um, actually, it wasn't necessarily me um, as much as, it, although I, was, I, I felt that it was going to be the greatest thing for them because they never experienced the, re, the return of money of a, of, a, of a bond fund. Well, my manager was with me on that appointment and the bond fund that he chose for my grandparents in nine, in the beginning of 1987, 
um, had a little bit of an issue in October of 1987. That $10,000 that she looked me in the eye and said, Tim, I'm, I'm not concerned about the, the rate of return on my money. I'm concerned about the return of my money. In October, I had to tell her that her $10,000 was only worth $6,000. And Mark, what really kicks it it, it in, you know, when you make a recommendation to a family member like that, and the whole goal was that they just simply didn't want to lose money, it really makes you think. It really makes you um, want to understand how can you work with people, do the best for them, and make sure that you're putting together a financial solution that is right for them? You know, th- th- these are people that for, gosh, at that point in time, maybe 60 years, um, from the time she was, you know, 17, 16 years old, um, you know, they never experienced the market. They never wanted to experience loss and they lived great lives up to that point. When they lost that, uh, when I had to tell them that they lost or that their account was down, that $4,000 or 40% within three days, you know, that uh, I know you're a little bit young, but I know, you know, history, October of 1987 wasn't a good time. Black Um, Monday. yeah. Yeah, it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. Um, so that's when I really started to look at uh, different ways that I was already taught. The, the financial industry was teaching me one way to do things, but in real life, it was panning out that these are, uh, are, this is just not the way to do financial planning. You know, taking everybody and saying that everybody must have risk in order to accomplish their goals. They must be exposed um, to some risk in order to ultimately you know, reach their goals. My 30 some odd years now in this business has proven that to be not the case. You, you don't have to expose yourself to unnecessary risk in order to accomplish the financial goals or financial milestones that you want to reach. Um, and Mark, that kind of leads us into the 10-10-10 rule. Um, so being uh, young in the business, now I'm, I'm into it uh, about two years, I got an opportunity to work with what they called orphan clients. Um, these were clients that were in their 70s, uh, late 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they didn't have a financial advisor um, that 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 was currently working with them because their original advisor either retired, passed away, or got out of the business. So I got an opportunity to go be their planner. Well, when I went out and sat with them, and these were all people that owned small whole life insurance policies. And this is where I learned so much about the mindset of the 40s and the 50s and into the early 60s of how people utilize this asset and how, they, how it created financial stability in their lives. And what people would do at the time, if you didn't have a, a, a whole life policy as the staple of your financial um, strategy, 
when you're talking to your neighbors, they would look, look at you like you're crazy. Like, how can you not have that? Everybody has that. That's what, that's what you do to create stability for your family and, 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 um, you know, have a dollar saved for emergencies. Obviously there's a death benefit if something should happen, but it was that whole idea of financial security and the whole life product being that underlying, um, uh, asset to, to do that for these people. And then I started asking them about how did they use their policies? And I heard all these stories, everything from, well, um, you know, this, it, it, that was as a mark, they had multi, they generally had multiple policies, not just one. Um, and I would hear stories about this one paid for my daughter's wedding. Um, you know, this one, this is how we used to pay our cars and then we would pay it back into the policy. Um, this one, we're, we're currently taking dividend income off to supplement our retirement. Um, this one, I, I, I loaned money out to my brother for a business opportunity and pay, he paid me over 15% interest on the money that I paid out, uh, loaned out. All these different stories on how they use these policies and how these policies have survived over 40, 50 years that they've owned them. And in fact, my own mom, uh, my grandma, and grandpa, when my mom was 17 years old, they purchased one of these small policies for her. And so to hear all of these stories and then to start to dig deeper about how did they actually save money. So remember, Mark, I, I, I was saying that um, a dollar saved is a dollar earned. Well, they looked at it as short-term, mid-term, and long-term savings. So they would put about 10% of their money into these policies for short-term goals. So that could be anything from an emergency, a vacation, um, you know, something that they, they felt they were going to need within maybe two years. Then they would put 10% of their income away um, into midterm goals. Well, for most of them, a midterm goal was a car. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of people leasing vehicles back in the 40s and 50s and early 60s. There wasn't too many people that um, were getting a new car every two or three years. That, was un that would be unheard of. Um, you know, it was on average eight to 10 years that they're getting a new family car. Um, so that would be an example of maybe a mid-term mid, mid uh, type uh, um, savings goal. And then they were doing 10% as income replacement. So 10% was, was being set aside to eventually uh, supplement their retirement. And as I continued to talk to different clients, and I met hundreds of them, Mark, hundreds, and, and, and it was the same story uh, I, each and every time. They didn't tell me 10, 10, 10. They didn't tell me that, hey, this is the philosophy we had but it was consistent. It was consistent. The story, I kept hearing the story over and over. You don't borrow money for things that you, you want. If you want something, you save the money up and then you go buy it. You don't put it on a credit card. You don't take debt. And what's really interesting, if you do the research on this, is that back then our average savings rate was 27%. Well, nowadays we're, we're barely at five. And people will say, well, I'm saving, I'm saving eight. 
because I'm being matched on my 401k at 3%. Well, that doesn't count either. You know, what are you actually saving? What, what is, what's your liquid assets? Um, how are you saving towards things and how are you paying for things? And that's basically, basically comes back to, are you living within your means? Do you have an appropriate philosophy for savings and spending and ultimately income replacement, which to me is, is financial independence. Um, I'm not a big fan of that word retirement, so to speak. But I, the, the thing that I've, I guess, in my career that I've been fighting for is really to get people to think in regards to the 10-10-10 rule, to help them to implement a little bit of uh, dollar saved is a dollar earned type of philosophy. Um, and to understand the difference between asset and liabilities. Tim, that's, there's so much good stuff there. Can you let us know what are some actionable steps folks can do if they can't start their engines from zero to 60 miles an hour, if they can't do 10, 10, 10 right away, that's literally saving 30% of your income, uh, which most people on average, the, the national average at this point is more like 5%. Uh, to cover everything from retirement to the leaky roof to the kids' college fund. And we all know that that's just not enough. So what are some takeaways? What are some things folks might be able to do with this information, knowing that we're coming from a very different, uh, we're, we're living in a very finan- financially different world now with everything from um, hedge funds to mortgage, subprime mortgages and derivatives. What could we do to help make sure that the 10-10-10 rule uh, could be put in our family and help our family's future. I've had financial advisors across the country that have um, absolutely, you know, ripped me apart because of this ten 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 idea that that's just ridiculous that anybody should be, you know, saving thirty percent of their income. And the thing that they're failing to connect is that. It's not 30% for income replacement. It's not 30% to, you know, that you should be just socking away into your 401k. Um, it's, it's financial management. Uh, if we look at our average debt ratio today, it's at 38% of somebody's income. So if somebody's taking for every dollar that they're earning, they earn 38 cents is going to service debt, uh, car loans, uh, home mortgages, credit card debt, student loans, which by the way, that's a whole nother podcast you should be doing is, you know, one point, $1.5 trillion student debt problem, uh, in this country. It is the next bubble to hit. Um, but if you do that and you look at, look at where it used to be at 11 cents back in the 40s, 50s, what happened? All people did was shift what they used to be spending on lifestyle with, with the 10, 10, 10 rule, and they shifted it into debt. So they're doing it anyway. So the first thing to do is to take an inventory, um, understand where are you? Where are all of your expenses at today? What is your inventory? And to understand that nothing happens overnight. This is a long-term game. Um, The last I checked, I'm going to live to be 121 years old. 
I'm currently going to be 55 here very shortly. Um, I'm hoping to do my last triathlon at age 100. I, I got a little ways to go. Now, God might have a different plan, but, you know, until he fills me in, this is, this is where I'm at. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not in a hurry. I, I, I can only do what I can do today. I can only make a little bit of progress each and every day towards my mindset and towards improving my financial situation. Um, and it's just, there, there is no, uh, uh, you know, golden pill here that's going to, you know, make me wealthy and, and financially secure. So the first thing is inventory. The second thing is to accept your inventory. You have to accept where you're at. You have to, you have to take it in. You have to understand that, that, you know, whatever you've done in the past has gotten you to where you are today. It doesn't mean that that's what's got to happen into the future. Um, so just accept where you're at. It's, it's life. It is what it is. Um, and then just stay, start making small incremental improvements in that inventory and start to shift um, the dollars that are going to lifestyle, taxes, debt, and possibly even investments. You know, if everything that you're doing is going to investments and nothing's going to savings, um, which, uh, you know, you should have an emergency fund, you know, probably one and a half times to two, two uh, or one and a half months to two months income. But then your whole life contract is a great, great place to start building savings in addition to investing. But if you can, if you can carve away at that lifestyle, taxes and debt and start shifting those dollars into the savings, that's where you start. That's where the, the plan starts. Um, for some people, you know, in their mid forties, um, I've had people that have absolutely broken down and cr crying in my office, thanking me for their permission to sell their homes and downgrade, to sell their BMW and downgrade, you know, and, and to get their, those expenses under control um, is the very first thing. Without that, you're, you, you, can't, you can't get anywhere else. Love it. Tim, we're going to do a part two. Can you leave us with a cliffhanger? Uh, with all the saving that you were able to do, can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to share in our part two? I would say that savings, the, uh, putting money into savings, i.e. permanent whole, mutual dividend paying whole life policies, does not mean sacrificing return. Does not mean sacrificing return. Um, that would be my cliffhanger. You guys have to wait a whole week, but I only have to hit pause for a second before I get to hear the rest of this story. So I can't wait. Tim, thank you for your time and I look forward to part two. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. What a cool story. He's a great guy, as you guys now know, and we're only halfway done. He's got a lot more stories to share. But Holly, I'm curious from your, uh, you know, listening to Tim and hearing his stories over many years, um, what takeaways did you take from today's episode? 
Yeah, Tim Tim Austin, he's just a great guy. I mean, any opportunity to be able to um, listen to him or learn from him, I just always feel like is so valuable. Um, I know I've had that opportunity a number of times, and every single time you learn something new, something new stands out to you. So I'm so happy we were able to you know share him and his wisdom with, with all of our listeners as well and give you guys that same opportunity. Right. Um, but one, one story I know of, of his, kind of a part of his story that's always um, stood out to me, and I remembered it from... Um, not only you know your conversation with him, but then also other times when he shared it as well. That um, just kind of the story with his grandma and how um, she, you know she had come to him, asked him to invest her money, and, but said like my one thing though is you know don't don't lose it, don't lose this money. This is obviously like important and valuable to her. Um, and then he did, <laughs> and so then just how hard that was for him, obviously and understandably, um, that you know after. He, you know, she gave him one rule, as it were, and then he he couldn't he couldn't hold it using traditional financial vehicles and methods. And mm-hmm. so I just think that that's first of all, people listen to that. I mean, that's super powerful. Like this is a financial planner that had at that you know time would have been considered every conceivable uh, you know financial tool available to him. He was told mm-hmm. just hey, don't lose don't lose this money, and he's like, hey, cool, I got it. And he can't hold he can't keep that promise with all the traditional vehicles. He had to find something else. Um, so just that alone, let that sink in a little bit when it comes to your own money, if it can't be mm-hmm. kept safe in traditional financial vehicles. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of always resonated with me because that was one of my big things, Mark, when I've shared my story with you when I was getting into financial planning. Um Almost because of this same factor that I knew there was always that risk of losing people's money in the financial industry, um, I had very strongly contemplated not working with my family, you know, whether it was parents, siblings, grandparents, whoever, because I did not want that burden of having lost their money in some capacity. Um, And then, of course, it was awesome that I was able to learn about bank on yourself. And, you know, part of my story is, 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 learning about this and finding a way that I can, you know, not only help people, um, you know, save their money, but do it in such a way I never have to worry about them losing it. And so I was able to work with my family after all, which is awesome. So um, that is just kind of something I know that was in, that was part Mm -hmm. of Tim's Tim's story that's always resonated with me because I had those same struggles of how do I work with my family um, when they're, when you're not wanting to ever lose their money or have to have that hard conversation. Whether it's family or obviously, an, a, you know, a, a client as well. I mean, the same thing. You never want to have to come to them with that, with that bad news. So, yeah, just so appreciate Tim and, and him sharing his time and, and everything with us. If if we can't offer an advice to Grandma, what makes us think it's the right advice for any person? You know, it, mm-hmm. that that really caught my attention with your with your reflection on his story there. Holly, I think, you know, if I'm not able to look someone in the eye and give them the same advice I'd give my own family, what makes me think it's it's a proper financial plan? You know, and so you're right. I think the, the most important thing to follow is follow the client's rules about their own money, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one last thing I'll just mention quickly as we wrap up our episode, something very tangible, very simple that I think a lot of us are being caught up in right now, services 
and uh, online subscriptions and mm-hmm. regular recurring uh, automatic payments to you know the the you know the tech behemoths of the world, whatever they might be, you yeah. know online streaming video, whatever. I mean, it really becomes a parasite on your budget if you're not careful. So maybe one little takeaway is to just, as he said, take an inventory, and literally that might mean schedule you know, an hour, one weekend, you know, to just look over your bank statement and figure out who all has your money every month, mm-hmm. figure out who's got your money and then start knocking people off the list. If they don't long, if they no longer add value, if you're not watching Hulu anymore, maybe it's time to cut them off or, or something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so take a moment, review your, your auto payments that you're no longer using and recapture some of that missed opportunity. Yeah. And it, I mean, it adds up for sure. I mean, when you're looking at that and it's like, you're like, oh, you know, this is only 10 bucks a month. This is only five bucks a month. But when you add up all the $10 <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, and the $20 and you just add all that up, you're like, oh, wait, no, this has actually kind of grown to be a, a sizable amount of money. But a bonus for those of you that have listeners that have taken our advice in the past, if you're already budgeting, this has kind of already been done for you. So all you would have to do is just hop onto your budget and rather than having to do all the initial research, you know, pouring through bank statement after bank statement, all you have to do is just look at your categories in, yeah. in your budget and they'll all pop right out to you as to which ones are, you know, monthly reoccurring and which ones are coming up. So um, less homework for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if, you've, yeah. if you've done your homework in the past, you don't have to do it now. <laughs> yeah. So find those gremlins in your, in your budget and uh, have some fun and find some freedom. A uh, million dollars here, a million dollars there. Before you know it, we're talking about real money, right? So, okay. Well, thank you all for joining us. I can't wait to show you part two with Tim Austin next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.